0: Welcome back to Global Nomad Hacks. Today, I am so excited to introduce to you a new friend. His name is Raymond Lott. He is also known as the Marine Rapper. Welcome, Raymond. What's
1: going on, Doctor? Thank you for inviting me to your show. It was such a pleasure meeting you in person and coming back and being on your show. I'm so excited.
0: I am really thrilled to have you on today for lots of reason because we have a lot of crossover and we didn't even get into this in the green room, but I was a a singer songwriter in my twenties and played in coffee houses. So music is definitely a deep place in my soul as well. But that's not why we're here today. We're here (laughs) to talk about sort of global mobility and sort of how do you survive and thrive? And a lot of the things that are happening with sort of the changing way that we live and work because of this mobility piece. And who better to talk about that than someone that is from the military and just likes talking to people because you also have a podcast. Yeah. We know that uh, that you're good at that, but you've got a great story and I would love to have you give, can you share a little bit about your background? Obviously, the military piece we know, but- Can you share a little bit about your background and particularly where you've been and some of that so that we get a little sense of where we're coming from?
1: Okay. Where should we start? Should we start at the childhood piece or do you want me to start from the military piece? Because I moved around a lot.
0: Okay. Well, why don't we start with the professional piece and then the last half, we'll do a little bit more about your personal story.
1: Okay. So starting from the professional military career, I joined the Marine Corps two years after college. I grew up in Oceanside, California, which is actually a military town. And then my first duty station was actually back in Oceanside, California at Camp Pendleton right there. So I grew up in that culture of skateboarding because Tony Hawk is a city over in Carlsbad. So skateboarding, extreme sports, military town, all that type of stuff. I used to actually be nomadic around my city and skateboard around my city and do that type of thing. And then I joined the Marine Corps because I wanted to get out there. I just like, oh, I got to move. They sent me back. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I got to keep it moving. And then they send me right back to my own city. So I was like, I can be at my mom's if I want to, or I can be on base if I want to, if I get tired of you know, my family, you because know, you get tired of you know, being around the same thing. But I did get a couple of vacations out of that. I got a vacation to Iraq, and <laughs> I got a vacation to Afghanistan out of Camp Pendleton in California. So I got to go over there and experience those cultures. We actually got a brief before we went over there. Because there's a couple of things that are different. Like you don't raise your foot up. You're not supposed to show the bottom of your foot over in a lot of the Middle Eastern culture. So we got things like that. And we got things like, you know, you don't touch people with, you know, your left hand and, and things like that. There's like a lot of little different idiosyncrasies over there that they may find offensive if you were to do. Like hand motions and the way you move your body and things like that. And, and the customs and courtesies. I know when we were over there on patrol, we would be patrolling through the cities, of Iraqi cities. And a lot of times we would stop and have tea and eat with our hands with the culture. And that was different for me because, you know, we use forks and and knives and all that. But no, over there, you sit down, you kind of like commiserate and you eat with your hands and you drink tea and you eat the goat, you eat the non bread and all of that type of stuff. And that's looked at as respectful. People want you to connect with them in that way. They don't want you to kind of like just wrapping for you a takeout type of thing. The, their culture is not like that. Their culture is more so like together and interwoven and you sit down and you enjoy the tea, you enjoy the time, you enjoy the human interaction. So that kind of like, wow, that opened me up to a different world, you know, being nomadic, going throughout the Iraqi cities and stuff. And I also had a very great experience in Iraq with an Iraqi woman. It was early in the morning and we were hungry. And, you know, we, we would always want some fresh food, some something from out in town. But that was like on a special occasion. So we're patrolling throughout the town. And then we come to this Iraqi woman's house. And it's crazy because she was already making non bread from scratch fresh.
0: Mm. And
1: she was making it in a cow dung oven. So cow dung and mud and all that. So they kind of like packed this mud and cow dung and they formed it into an oven and then cut a hole in the middle and, and set a fire. And then they would, you know, make the non-bread with their hands like a pancake and then they would put it inside of that slot and it would come out just like you know how we would pull out a pizza and she was giving it to all the troops all of us and then she shared mm-hmm. breakfast with us and we didn't understand you know her language we you know we knew words here or there we didn't understand her language but her language was love at that moment you know mm-hmm. through a nonverbal, you know passing of the bread from her oven to us and it was crazy because we were in a war zone.
0: Yeah. We were
1: in a war zone. We, we had the fear of getting shot at at any time. But that was one moment where we were actually at peace because she was sharing pieces of our bread. She was sharing pieces of her bread with us. And it was just like an amazing experience. So that's so beautiful. I had, had a lot of situations like that where we were traveling throughout the city and we learned, you know, different types of diplomacy and different types of humanity just through the day to day having tea or breaking bread, literally. So had some good experiences overseas in Iraq.
0: That's awesome. And I think that, you know, it's something that we it takes such presence to be able to just fully be in that moment and appreciate what it was, which was that gift of of love and appreciation and, and how it's expressed simply through food, which in a lot of cultures, food is really an expression of love. Americans, we tend to Eat for sustenance we don't yeah. necessarily eat for for joy and we don't create food for joy in the same way. it's sort of like wow. you know, throw something together and and eat it and so you've been in Iraq and you've been in Afghanistan are there any other any other places that really stood out for you that might have been a surprise or in terms of either positive or negative in terms of your expectations
1: you know what the craziest thing was when I was traveling about the world in the Marine Corps, I actually had more positive experiences than negative.
0: Mm.
1: Because firefights and, and shooting and all that, that only takes about 30 to 45 seconds. It feels forever, but it's 30 to 45 seconds. If somebody's shooting at you, you're shooting back. Unless it's a very intense battle, not really long situations. So the majority of the time, majority of the days is spent, you know, Having camaraderie with your comrades or out in town learning those different cultures and eating and drinking and stuff like that. So, I had more positive experiences than anything. One of the great experiences that I had was a deployment to Morocco. Wow, such a good place. Have you been there?
0: It's on my bucket list. It's actually, there's a funny story behind that. I'll tell you another time.
1: Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. We'll, We'll have another conversation. But, anyways, you need to go. So, let me get into my story, though. I was there out in town and out in town, we couldn't wear our uniform. We couldn't wear our camouflage camis or anything like that. So what we had to do, we had to dress up. Marines, we always have to dress nice and sharp and have clean haircuts and stuff like that. So I was wearing a dress shirt and I was wearing some dress slacks and some dress shoes. And we're out in town. And the craziest thing out in Morocco, it's, it's kind of it's a mixture. It's kind of like you know stone and brick and rubble, but it's 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 kind of modern too. They have like kind of like nice beachfront bars and things like that. So I'm out there. And it's funny because at the time, Obama was the president, right? And I'm a, I'm a tall, lanky black dude. And I'm wearing black slacks, a white button up shirt. And a lot of the other Marines, they were just, you know, big, big white dudes, right? Mm-hmm. And so these big white dudes were behind me. And I'm walking down the street, a big <laughs> lanky black dude. So the kids from the Moroccan neighborhood are like, Obama, Obama. (laughs) So they thought I was Obama walking down the Moroccan streets. And it was just crazy how our culture had traveled all the way over there. And I was looked at as Obama. And those were my security guards behind me. It was just like one of those funny situations that I really enjoyed while I was over there in Morocco. But our great stories traveled from America all the way over to Morocco. And they looked at us as, well, they looked at me as like one of the world leaders. And it was great that, you know. Our commander in chief at the moment, he was respected even over in Africa to that point and that we were welcomed as Americans. A lot of other cultures, they really welcome us in, you know, with open arms. And I was just like, wow, that made me feel good. And then we kept traveling down like the stone road to the bar and the beer and everything in their food. Everything over there is so fresh, so new. It will throw you off because you're like, wow, the beer is strong. The food is potent. Everything tastes so fresh. This apple, I didn't even know what an apple tasted like until I had it overseas because they don't put all those chemicals in it. Wow. Oh, my gosh. This is so good. And then, and then they, they made us apples and fruit and vegetables. And then they made us couscous in an actual um, – I forget what the, the pot is called, but it's the actual pot that you cook the couscous in. Yeah. Um, you, have you ever seen it? It's like yeah, a Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like it. yeah, yeah, and then you, you steam it and you cook it the right way. And so we had fresh vegetables, fresh grains, fresh drinks fresh fruit and the experience was just amazing and people were just so happy to see us one because we are spending money <laughs> but, but you know of course but two you know we were you know not from there we're foreigners and so they were so intrigued to find out about us and they're so much into our culture and like the way we moved the way we operated the way we spoke you know it was just a good situation all around just being deployed as a military person because it was something that wasn't fighting and it was something to where we got to know each other on a human level just through food again yeah and and another thing too is music music mm-hmm. and food are two different things that can bring cultures together without saying anything you know they can see the body movement and stuff and you know they're playing the music and then we're just like vibing and you know bobbing our head to it and eating and drinking and then the people out there were just like, "Wow, this is cool." You know, we get to host these individuals from overseas, and and they are showing respect to our culture because we were briefed to, you know. But then also because we have a respect for for other cultures too, and that's what I feel is important. Is you have to go into another country or another culture, like you're walking into a house, and mm. like, hey, what are the rules of the house? Show me how to respect you. Show me, you know, do I take off my shoes? Do I keep my feet on the ground? Do I I sit on the ground when I, you know, when I drink tea with you, you know, how do you guys use the restroom? That's another thing too. Like they use a lot of bidets over there too. They use a lot of bidets and they have- yeah, they save clothes.
0: on toilet paper. No hoarding over there.
1: <laughs> <laughs> see, it, see, I mean, they're laughing. They're probably laughing at us like these guys fighting over toilet paper when we have been way above the curve and bidet sales have been going up in America too. It's just a crazy thing. But I learned a lot from overseas and I've had more positive situations than anything as a military individual over there. And it was it was awesome.
0: If you could live a, anywhere yeah. on the planet, not, not in America? your home country, where would you choose?
1: Wow. Hmm. There's some other places that I want to go to, so I don't know. I couldn't answer that for you.
0: Yeah, fair but, enough.
1: <laughs> but I had some good experiences in Kyrgyzstan. Hmm? We were holding over there before we went to Afghanistan. Kyrgyzstan, uh, they treated us very well. We had like four meals a day, too which was cool. And then the people there, their eyes are kind of like a bluish gray, mm. which is kind of cool. That was a cool thing. And, uh, but they're kind of like, they, they kind of look Asian too. So their eyes are like beautiful. And it's just, a, it's, it was just amazing experience. That was a nice place. I had another great experience in a place called Latvia. I mm-hmm. don't know if you've heard ever oh, heard yeah. of that place. And again, <laughs> it was crazy because I was over there and when you when you say you're a minority over there it's not a bad thing it's like you're as a black man overseas you're looked at as a a unicorn you're looked at they love they love your black skin they love how you look they look they're intrigued with it so mm-hmm. me saying I was a minority over there is actually like a positive thing they're like they're intrigued they're like oh I want to know your culture like you play basketball you rap huh I know you do because all Americans do you know they just think all oh, black men like Rap or they think we all play basketball. Like I, I got one of the two. So I'm like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm over there and and they're trying to, you know, get to know me and know my culture. And they just want to stare and look at my skin. Mm-hmm. Like I, I remember I was in a Latvian mall and I just happened to be the only black man there. And so they were staring at me because they were intrigued. They wanted to know where I came from, what my culture was, how how my skin got like that. Like literally like very elementary questions because they had never seen a black man in that town that I was in. So they're just like, wow, this is amazing. Like, you know, tell me more. Like, where do you come from? What's your culture? Are you from Africa? Are you from where are you? You know? And so I literally, this is no exaggeration for 10 minutes straight. I'm staring at this older Latvian woman who looked like she lived 60 years on earth without ever seeing a black man in person. She saw him on TV, but she was like, She couldn't believe it. Like, and we were looking at at each other. We were like looking at each other like, wow, this is amazing. Like, you know, this is beautiful. We get to connect without saying a word and not judge at all. Just kind of like, just kind of absorb all the great energy and all the great humanity and all the, the great aura.
0: What a wonderful both experience, both for both of you. I mean, yeah. mm-hmm. I remember as you are talking about that, it's reminding me of we went to China with our kids. My husband was doing some work over there, and so we spent Christmas in in China one year. And yeah, and our kids at the time were, I think they were probably like seven and eight or something like that, maybe maybe a little bit younger even. But my daughter has red red hair, and my son at the time his hair was still like white blonde, and you know wow. we're tall Scandinavian, you know, Scandinavian, uh, British culture. So, you know, very white skin. And Does your husband have red hair? No, he's, uh, he's Swedish. He's got sort of, uh, well, now he's got gray hair, but <laughs> he, had, <laughs> he had what they call dark brown, a oh, dark blonde in Sweden, which is basically, he was blonde as a kid and then it was sort of, you know, light brown. Anyway. Oh. So we were sort of, you know, we were just walking through this sort of downtown area of this village and we were so much taller than everybody else. And then the kids' hair was so bright. And my husband went to go to find an ATM and we were, st- my, I was standing with my kids in the middle and people were just gathering around and it was all just pure curiosity, but like little kids wanted to come and touch. My kids' hair, yeah. and you know, my kids were sort of panicking, like, "What's what's <laughs> happening?" And finally, someone came up to us and was like, "Are you guys okay?" And she spoke English, and yeah. she she was like, "Here, you know, why don't you come with me? We'll go into a store." And so it was a little less intimidating for mm. the kids. She was Chinese herself. She was Chinese herself, and oh, okay. she had sort of enough English that she was able to sort of say, "You know, come here, I'll help you." Oh, okay, okay. And I mean, we were you know, this was before, you know, fluid Google Translate, where you could sort of speak into it and say, help. Um, (laughs) But it was, it was a fascinating experience, because there we were very much the minority. And because we were so much taller than everyone else, we stood out in this group, even though it was a crowd. You know, we were sort of a head taller than everybody else. And my kids were basically the size of the adults. Wow! And, And so it was this sort of Bizarre experience for all of us, and I was trying to say, like, they're just curious, guys. It's okay; they're not going to hurt you.
1: Oh, so the, your kids were kind of scared.
0: My kids were a little bit scared because people oh. were crowding around us,
1: uh. and
0: the and the little kids were trying to touch them. Mm. It's fascinating because you know we are, you know, we're we're curious about things that are new and unfamiliar, and but it was also that culture of they're used to. Being crowded in an environment. And we're used to the Scandinavian culture where you give people a lot of physical space. You don't.
1: Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, that's something so, I'm learning.
0: Yeah. So you don't. I mean, I think that's why it hasn't, you know, the coronavirus hasn't spread as much in Scandinavia because Scandinavians are used to giving each other a lot of personal <laughs> space. It's like social distancing feet? champions. <laughs> yeah, social distancing, no problem. We're used to six feet. Well, I'll give you 10. <laughs> So, I mean, it's, it's interesting. And then you see the southern parts of Europe where it's spreading massively because people are used to being close together and giving each other kisses. And it's a very, you know, it, it's easy to, to see things mm. spreading that way. And so, I mean, there's, you know, part of that is a respect. Part of it is just knowing that space. And well, I'm just, I, I loved your description of the way that you looked into each other's eyes for a long period, just, just enjoying that connection of, uniqueness. And what a gift you were giving each other and sort of saying, wow, I see you. Yeah. I think that's really a beautiful thing.
1: It is. I've actually done some emotional intelligence training. And we did a lot of exercises where, you know, we, we had a whole bunch of people around and, and we had to look into each other's eyes and touch each other's hair and stuff like that. And it's kind of like, I'm like, wow, I haven't been living. I haven't been being a human. I haven't been respecting other individuals, as much as I should be in like just being in the moment, like how you said about the food, I know I'm like, okay, it's twelve o'clock, lunchtime, shove it down my mouth, all right, mission accomplished next work, you know that's how we eat food, we don't even enjoy our coffee like Europeans do Europeans, they sit down, they have coffee, they have tea, espresso, and they they express themselves. We don't really do that in America as much as we should, not everybody, obviously, but I've learned a lot from other cultures and and also the emotional intelligence training I've been in. And I, I hope to kind of, you know, spread that too with other individuals and be like, hey, we can we can talk. Hey, how are you? How's your day? Like, le- like let me just listen to your story. I don't need to even share, you know, anything for me. Let me be of service in this moment, you know, and then you pay it forward to somebody else, something like that. Like things like that, I've been learning a lot as an adult, which is crazy because there's some people who go throughout their whole life and and still don't learn that or, or travel or go about. But I do believe that some people do travel so they can bring all those tips and tools back to other individuals so we can in turn learn like other cultures. So I just think it's a beautiful thing. And, and that's why I kind of like really enjoyed that moment with that lady looking into her eyes and her looking back at me. On some human level. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I mean, when we recognize the humanity and others, it's a beautiful thing. And it does take really listening and listening to our own reactions and our own responses and not being reactive, but more being like, okay, well, this is what I'm feeling. This is what I'm experiencing. This is a new way of doing things. You don't get fixated in what's the right way. It's just different ways. Yeah. I want to go a little bit as you know as we've talked a little bit about your professional background and obviously your journeys in the military and but you also have a really unique story of your personal yeah. background. Can you share a little bit about that?
1: Yeah. So, I grew up as a only child from a military brat family. My dad was a Marine, so every man in my family has been a Marine or a cop. So, it's just been a thing. So, I, by nature, was moving around because Marines move around every three to four years. Everybody kind of like knows that if you're military, you're going to move to another base or something. So I ended up landing in Oceanside, California as a a kid. And I grew up there mostly after growing up in uh, Newark, New Jersey for a little bit. Newark, New Jersey, at the particular time that I lived there was a murder capital. So my mom was like, we're going to be nomads right now. We're moving to Oceanside, California, kind of like a Fresh Prince of Bel Air type of thing. I'm gonna I'm send you to California. Mm-hmm. So we went to California, and that's where I kind of just was in a hodgepodge of culture because Oceanside, California, it had Pacific Islander, it had Mexican, it had Black, it had White, it had you know all these other in-between cultures, even Asian, because there was a lot of individuals who married into a lot of Asian cultures because they you know had the military families and like settled down back in Oceanside. So all that culture was around me. So when I was growing up and skateboarding and playing outside and stuff like that, we had everybody and I never really looked at anybody differently or their culture any differently. The only time I knew it was different when, you know, my Mexican neighbor would invite me over. Hey, you want to come over for dinner? I'm just like, "Um, yeah. So I would come over there and I was like, wow, you guys really party. You know, they like I'm just like, it's the weekend. What's the occasion? They're just like, oh, no, we're just we were working hard all week. And so we're just going to (laughs) party. It's just dinner. So they'll get the grill out. They'll get the carne asada. They'll uh, cook that up. They'll get the, uh, you know, the tortillas. They'll make the tortillas. They'll have, you know, sometimes they might be doubling as a kid's birthday party. So they might have a jump house and they might have a piñata. Who knows? Every weekend. Who knows? And, you know, they'll have the candy and stuff out. And I'm just like, wow, this is great. You know, but because back at my house, my mom, a little bit more low key, she'll make some southern food, some cornbread, some fried chicken, some macaroni and cheese. Because my family's from the South, so we'll get some of that, you know, cultural influence of that. But, I mean, my I don't know what it is. Have you ever tasted your parents' food as opposed to your food? Do you understand what I'm saying?
0: Well, my mother was not a cook, so. Oh,
1: no? Oh, okay. oh
0: no, not at all. No, we've okay, actually we- been giving her a hard time about it lately. Like, what are you surviving on in quarantine? <laughs> Hot dogs and beans?
1: <laughs> so, with my culture and, uh, you know, the Southern food cooking culture. My mom, she'll cook the Southern food. She'll make all the kids food. I ended up with four siblings, but she'll make all the kids food first. And then she'd be like, everybody got their plate. And we're just like, yeah, mom, knowing what we're going to do after she says that, then she meticulously makes her plate. Like, right? so she makes her plate with the, you know, whatever it's over with the fried chicken, the macaroni and cheese, the vegetables, the greens, and all of that, and the cornbread off to the side. And then, so she's like, because she was working or whatever she was doing. And she sits down and she's finally about to enjoy her food with the drink. And then we're staring at her like some meerkats, like, what? <laughs> we're like, what do you got over there? She's like, I have the same thing y'all got. You eat your food. And I'm just like, mom, can I just, can I just taste your food? I don't know what it is, but you put that mom sprinkle on there, that fairy <laughs> dust. And then, no kidding, like when I taste my mom's food, I'm just like, what is so good about it? I don't know. I guess it's just like, because we know. There's so much love and patience and time put into the food. And then her food was actually that essence, the source of all of that that she spread amongst us five kids. So we had to taste her food. So that was our culture, because we had the soul in our food. So, like, you know, next door it was the Mexican neighbors, which was more of like the experience in the party. But like over where we're at in the black culture and southern food culture, it was more of a that's why they call it soul food, because mm-hmm. it's like you put your heart into it. It's like I worked hard all day and you know, I made a dollar out of 15 cents, so to speak. And I made this feast with Mm. whatever I could afford, but I put my foot into it. I don't know if you heard that uh, saying, putting your foot into it means you really cooked. Have you heard that Mm. saying?
0: I haven't. I like that.
1: Yeah. So when somebody says they, wow, like if, if you're eating like some soul food and you're like, yo, you put your foot into this, that means like the cook really like that mean they got into the pot like they're really in there so if you got your hand in it but if you put your foot in it the expression means that's that so funny really cooked.
0: i mean i grew up in new england right and so yeah. putting your foot in it means like shut it
1: <laughs> oh put in your mouth that's a different that's a different thing put your yeah. foot
0: in it <laughs> but yeah, yeah but it's if, yeah no i agree see how
1: from different culture to culture it changes it's a different thing exactly but yeah that's that's what i grew up with i grew up with soul food i grew up with different cultures i grew up going like over you. my uh My Samoan friend's house, and then they would have, you know, that type of food, you know, a lot of big portions and things like that. So I really didn't know the difference between cultures or that I was different until later on in life because we got to experience so many different things growing up in that military town, Mm -hmm. um, even though I was a civilian. So I feel really blessed and very fortunate that I was able to taste a little bit of. Everybody's life been experienced through their food and actually commiserate with them and it was a it was a beautiful thing, so I grew up like that. I grew up with a mixture
0: I love that and so and of course, I have to bring in your music piece because yeah. that is just i mean that clearly is something that just you know that that is your expression of of your love and yeah, so talk to me a little bit about sort of how that came about. is that something that was Culturally sort of, you know, within your community or did that just come uniquely out of you? What where did that the, the marine rapper come from? Marine
1: and rap? No, not at all. Not at all. Not at all. OK, so this is actually connected to my upbringing. So I grew up in Oceanside, California with all these different races and cultures.
0: Yeah.
1: Everybody did extreme sports because Tony Hawk made it popular because mm-hmm. he was a city over. So we skateboarded, we rollerbladed, and we did bike tricks.
0: Yeah.
1: So the music that went along with that culture of that time was rock music. It was not rap at all. I wasn't into rap until I was 18 oh. at all. Yeah. So culturally, because I had you know people coming over to my mom's house that lived in a different area than me, my mom's friends, uh, one of my mom's friends she passed away now but she's the one who got me into hip-hop music she actually came over and she said hey raymond and i'm like yeah she's like do you listen to any like rap music and i'm like no nah, not really she's like but you're black which is kind of crazy like because I'm black, I'm expected to listen to certain things, eat certain things, do certain things. And it's kind of crazy. That wasn't my culture. Yeah. Culture can be different. You can be a black man and, and grew up in a Scandinavian culture. I know there's, you know what I mean? Totally. Things like that. You can do a lot one of, different of my stuff. dearest so, friends
0: is, yes. <laughs> so,
1: oh, you, you, have a, you, have a, you have a black friend that grew up in one of my culture?
0: One of my dearest friends from a high school who I've recently reconnected with, his, his mother was from Africa, but he grew up in Scandinavia. And he grew up in in Sweden, and so one wow. of, one of my first early Swedish friends was big black guy. You know, wow. so
1: big black guy, but he's Swedish.
0: But he's Swedish.
1: That's crazy.
0: Yeah, he's fifty percent. Yeah, so
1: it could so. be it could be anything, you know. So I was there, and um, in that moment, I was just like, "What? Well, what do you mean? I didn't I didn't know any better at all." But she handed me a CD of Notorious Big, Biggie Smalls, like one of the most famous rapper of all time. Yeah. Yeah, And that was my first experience, my first exposure to hip hop, which I'm kind of glad because she gave me a CD of somebody who was actually a student of the game. Somebody who actually was like encapsulated in that hip hop world. Mm -hmm. And she gave me Biggie and Biggie is actually the opposite of me because I'm a, a skinny, lanky black dude and Biggie's like twice as big as me. But I kind of related to Biggie after I listened to that CD when he said that it doesn't matter how you look, as long as you have that confidence, you'll always kill it in life, whatever you do. So he took me into his culture of just believing in himself. Mm-hmm. Um, he has a line that says black and ugly as ever. However, I stay Kooji down to the socks. So translation, <laughs> it means, Hey, you may think I'm black. You may think I'm ugly. That might not be attractive to you. I stay Kuji down, which means Kuji was a, is actually a brand of sweater. Those big mm-hmm. sweaters he would wear that were always colorful. He's saying, I still can have confidence in myself because I put on whatever I put on and I can walk into town and people are going to think I'm attractive because I have that aura about me. Mm-hmm. And he, at that time was very instrumental in giving me that confidence that I needed because I was just a skinny, lanky black dude that skateboarded, that people thought was whitewashed because my culture wasn't, Of that, that listened to rap music, or I didn't sag my pants, or I wasn't a gangster or anything like that. So it was kind of like a thing that he was talking through me through the music. So I was just like, wow, this is hip hop. I can influence people like that. So that was like, bam, and just explosion. It was like the big bang. So I was like, okay, cool. So all I have to do is apply the same thing that Biggie's saying to my music. So I studied hip hop and realized if you do hip hop, you have to tell your story. As long as you tell your story, you're good. As long as somebody can fact check it, you're good. Yeah. So I got into hip hop and I started freestyling, like rap battling. If you guys don't know what rap battling and freestyling is, it's kind of like if you ever seen that Eminem movie, it's kind of like an improvisational rap where you don't make it up until you're in front of the person. So you're saying whatever you want to say immediately. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. you don't want to try me. I got a big team full of doctors and one of them is Dr. Heidi. You know what I mean? Something like that. You would say something like that. So that, that's called off the dome. That's called freestyle. That's called, you know, improvisational rap. Like Wayne Brady from Whose Line Is It Anyway is really good at that. Drew Carey, they're really good at that, you know, commercially. But Biggie Smalls was one of those individuals that was really good at that. So I wanted to be like him. So I started freestyling. But then I was like, I need to get a job. So I, (laughs) yeah, you got to get a job. So I ended up working at Taco Bell as a rapper, like literally wrapping up tacos, which is kind of ironic. (laughs)
0: <laughs> the rapping um, rapper. Yeah. Okay.
1: Then I stopped throughout the Marine Corps because I had to go to Iraq and Afghanistan. Fast forward a little to the end of my career, like, you know, 19 years. And then I was like, let me get back into rap. And then I was just like, okay, well, if I do that, I need to do what I learned in hip hop is like, as long as you tell your story authentically, nobody can debunk that and they have to respect it because hip hop's about respect hip-hop's probably like the only music that is like yo you need to respect me while you listen (laughs) you know what I mean like it's just like it's just the week
0: yeah it's about being present hip-hop
1: is a culture too it's a culture you have to live if you don't live it someone will call you out you know Mm -hmm. so I felt like you know you've seen it in 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 person live you've seen me like live that at the conference like on the drop of a dime I can switch into that hip-hop mode you know yeah um because that's my culture like and I have to show that and I have to represent or somebody's going to call you out. And if somebody calls you out as a fake in hip hop, that's like the end of your career. So you can't do that. So I was just like, OK, how can I be real and authentic? Oh, talk about my experience in the Marines. Nobody can debunk that. And plus, I was a combat correspondent with photos of firefights and stuff like that. So if somebody wants to check me, they can just ask any of my Marines or they can look at any of my photos or read any of my stories. And I'll have the validity to that. And then right when I started telling the real story of the Marines everything blew up and I got featured on uh, CBS Radio recently NPR I got featured on Apple Music and started my own record label and that's pretty much it I just took everything from my childhood and and added it with my military experience and all my culture that I learned from other people you know the skateboarding the Mexican culture the Polynesian culture the all the different Caucasian cultures and especially the black culture and mix it all together. And, and I became, you know, the Marine rapper and a storyteller and a person who keeps the story alive for the troops who can't be here today because they passed away or they don't have the ability that I have to articulate words. So I feel like it's my duty to continue to do that. And that's my story that. about how I came the Marine rapper.
0: I so appreciate that. And I want to make sure that I just take a, a quick moment to just say thank you for your service in so many different ways. Your service continues as your work in the the Marine Wrapper and in and, and supporting the Marines, but your service while in your active duty times too. And I just think that your ability to continue telling that story and the heart that you bring to it is so important. And it, it's really a beautiful thing. So I just want to acknowledge you for that and, and, and say thank you for your work there. Mm-hmm. So storytelling, we're about to wrap up, but I just, I, I want to have a, just a real quick, like the things that you've been able to weave with your storytelling have been, are really phenomenal. And is there a favorite story? I mean, I know you do sort of off the cuff things, but is there a favorite story or a little riff that you can share with folks to get a sense of how that plays out for those that that haven't heard you perform before? Is there a little snippet you can share just so people get a sense of what is that? What, what, what's he talking about, What you know?
1: Yeah, do you mean a story as in like me rapping or- Yeah, you mean in just terms like in of the-
0: like, how do, you, how do you turn those stories into music? Can you show, give us a quick example?
1: Oh, okay. So the way I do it is I think about, you know, how I'm feeling,
0: because mm-hmm.
1: music is a feeling. You want people to feel a certain way. So if I'm angry, it's gonna be an angry song. If I'm happy, it's gonna be a happy song. If I'm sad, it's gonna be a sad song. Um, so I go off of how I'm feeling, so that starts with me listening to music, either pre-made or I might work with a producer and I'll be like, hey, man, like, you know, how you feeling? And he's like, oh, yeah, I want to I want to kind of like rage. I want to kind of like make some rock music. OK, and then we'll do that. And then so, another time, you know, a producer might send me kind of like a, um, a sad type of song. And I'm like, oh, man, this reminds me of the story when I was overseas. And this was I was talking about at the New Media Summit that I would tell you. And I'm going to tell you on your show because you got me on your show. The story is, I was on patrol. And when I was on patrol, I was feeling selfish. I wanted to go back to the tent. All I wanted was these muffins and energy drinks. And I had to get out of the truck because one of the guys was like, Hey, you're the camera dude. You're going to get in front and you're going to sweep for mines on foot, whether you like it or not. You know, you're going to be one of the first people in the front. And, And that wasn't like a scary thing at that point because we were all doing kind of like dangerous stuff. But it was just my turn to be in front and walk and sweep for mines and like look out for mines. So the truck didn't get blown up or other people. get blown. So while I'm doing that, I'm walking through this tall grass and then a little kid runs up to me. And when a little kid runs up to you or a woman runs up to you right before that moment, you're thinking, unfortunately, they might have a suicide bomb because that's what was happening. Hmm. So I was scared. But then in a split second, I kind of like calmed down and the little kid came up to me and his lips were cracked. Kind of like bloody, and he was parched. You could see he was dehydrated by his skin, and he said water, and mm-hmm. that made me go. I'm worrying about energy drinks and muffins
0: mm-hmm.
1: because my culture is so rich, but this guy can't get clean water because they're dumping dead bodies in the Euphrates,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and they're getting sick. And I'm worrying about stupid muffins. Yeah, are you serious right now, Raymond? You know, are you serious? So. That kind of like changed my perspective and stuck with me and resonated with me as a story that I would always continue to tell from this point on. I gave him water, by the way.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I was wondering.
1: (laughs) You're wondering, right? I gave him him that water. We had like a little, uh, you know, 16 ounce uh, water bottle in our cargo Mm -hmm. pocket. So I gave him mine. It just resonates and stuck with me. So I get ideas from that you know? Mm-hmm. So I talk about not being selfish. I talk about people le- being less fortunate. I talk about different cultures. I talk about, you know, ladies giving us bread, you know? Mm-hmm. So I get experience from that. It's kind of like, I liken what I do to gangster rap. The reason why is you can't do it if you haven't been there. Yeah. So this is, mil- this is military rap. So you have to, or military music, you know, because my, my brand is the military musician. You have to have been there. If you're not there, you're just not there. It's just yeah. what it is. But it's the reality. It's hip hop. And I feel like I have to draw ex- inspiration from either stories I was told or stories that I actually lived through. And that's how I get it. I love and, it. and that's how I make it.
0: Yeah. It's so authentic and, and wonderful. And I really do appreciate it. And I want to make sure that folks can find you and find your music and, and uh, learn more about your work. What's the best way for them to find you?
1: The best way to find me is remember, keep it simple, stupid. That's what I learned from the military. It's called the KISS Method. Keep it simple, stupid. So all of my handles are at the Marine Rapper. And my brand is at military musician. So at the Marine Rapper and at Military Musician. If you search any of that or hashtag military musician, you're gonna see me pop up. You're gonna see all of my other fellow artists pop up. They all have military backgrounds and they do music. And now I'm in another phase of my life to where I drop five albums and and now I'm looking at the future of military music. And I'm kind of just spearheading that. And that's what I'm doing. But if you're interested, just reach out to me at The Marine Rapper or at Military Musician, if you're a musician, or if you just want to hear the stories of the nation's heroes, male, female, all types of demographic, all types of cultures. I have everything on my platform. If you want to hear where they're coming from and hear their stories, that's all you have to do is go to At The Marine Rapper. And thank you so much for having me, Dr. Heidi. Like I appreciate it. I know the time difference is crazy. I know what's going on is crazy, but I've learned so much from you and thank you so much for being a real human being. If you guys have not yet met Dr. Heidi in person, I swear, she is a treat. You have to meet her. Might be a little intimidating because she's you know, tall Amazon physique, (laughs) but uh, after you get past that, you're like, oh man, you're pretty cool. So thank you so much, Dr. Heidi.
0: Oh, it's been such a pleasure having you on today and I look forward to staying in touch and hearing more of your music. Thank you so much for joining us today. And thank you for joining us today, you global nomads out there. And we look forward to sharing more of our shows with you in the future. As we're just starting out, please don't forget to subscribe, rate and review and share the show with your friends. We look forward to more and I hope you don't miss any of the great upcoming episodes. Until then, bye bye for now.